It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of Cisco Champion Radio. Today we are discussing home labs. Woohoo! All right. Um, our speakers are Charles, Blake, and Mike. Charles, why don't you introduce yourself um, and tell us why are you on this call? Hey, I'm Charles Fizza, and I am an education specialist here at Cisco. And, um, well, I, my full-time job is teaching. So um, I have an interest uh, in home labs just because a lot of my students have home labs. Also, more importantly, it's more, more of a personal thing for me because when I started out in my IT career, I got introductory experience and knowledge using my home lab. So that's, in a nutshell, why I'm here. Awesome. Blake, you're up. Who are you? Why are you here? Why is, why is any of us here? Okay, you may go. Uh, the answer to that question is 42, but my name is Blake Crony. I'm a wireless solutions architect and a podcast junkie, and uh, I'm here because I have a pretty cool, at least I think it's cool, everybody tells me it's cool, I guess, a wireless home lab that I utilize for uh, learning the tricks of the trade and trying to stay on top of the technology. Awesome. Mike, you are up. Who are you? Why are you here? Why? Okay, wait, I don't need to repeat myself. Go for it. <laughs> Hey, everybody. I'm Mike Aussie. I'm a solutions architect focused on collaboration um, in the Midwest. And uh, I've had a home lab for many, many years, and uh, I'm happy to be dominating hosting these podcasts for the last few weeks until everybody gets sick of hearing my voice. And just for the record, Blake, all things wireless are evil. Ooh. <laughs> and since we're going to have some fighting, this will be fun. Um, Charles, uh, do you want to Give us a quick, like, why do people home lab, just so the listeners at home can understand. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, so, I mean, I, I will say this. Uh, if you're starting out in your IT career, you know, maybe, maybe you want to do a career change or maybe you're just fresh out of school and you really want to get the hands-on experience, I mean, you kind of have this chicken or the egg problem. You know, you can't get the experience if you don't have the job. Well, if you don't have the job, you can't get, you know, it's, it just goes a backboard. So, what, uh, what the trend is in the industry, especially technology, if you're in the networking, is to get some sort of home lab. So that's what I did. I remember my first, uh, you know, when I, wanted, when I made the decision to get into IT, I just put a home lab together. You know, I put a few servers together and I started messing around. And, you know, it doesn't have to be something elaborate, but it's really a cost-effective way that you can get some experience, some real hands-on experience to the sorts of technology that will make you valuable in the industry if you have those skills. So that's that's in a nutshell what you know why I think that having a home lab is uh, is beneficial for a lot of people. That's that's how I, I know that's how I got my start. That's and I will awesome. say this too. Uh, let me mention one more thing is that even as I you know I have about you know, a little over 11 years experience now in network engineering, I still maintain a home lab. And now 
the makeup of that looks a little bit different. It's a little more advanced than what I had years ago. But when I'm working on some sort of protocol or trying to understand it, how the feature works, there's nothing better than setting it up and actually making it work and seeing why, you know, how it works and that sort of thing. So, so that, that's in a nutshell, I think, the kind of the value prop of having a, a home lab. Awesome. So um, one note, I believe our chat is broken. Yay. Uh, so podcast junkies, Blake, Mike, you're up. Thoughts, discussion? Well, I think that the home lab is, is probably one of the most important tools in an engineer's toolkit to have. It's one of the first questions I ask during interviews of any potential new hires that we have is if you have a home lab. Because if you don't take the time to learn the material outside of work and you think that you're just going to be able to go through your day job and have time to learn the material during your day job. And maybe for me, it's different being at a VAR and as a consultant role where, you know, we have to have so many hours available and we're always at customer sites, but you've got to have that infrastructure that you can learn on and play on and try different things without, you know, having to worry about SLAs. Now, granted, some of us have a little bit of different SLAs. If we have a significant other, you know, I have to keep my network up and running enough that uh, I don't get phone calls when I'm on the road traveling saying something's down. But we have to have that infrastructure to work on and try things and, and learn. And you're always learning. That's the exact thing that I tell everybody is that you can't stop learning to be in this industry. The day you stop learning is the day that you become irrelevant. Hey, Blake, I want to add something really interesting you said here because I, I totally agree with what you said. Um, you know, I have exposure to teaching students. I've, I've taught at uh, two different uh, colleges, and one, the mentality that I, I've always tried to stress, because I, I learned myself firsthand that uh, you, you never can stop learning. You're never going to stop being a student of technology. So, so I think what you said there is, is on the money regarding always being a student. It's something that if you're trying to get into this industry, if you think that you're just going to kind of plateau and, okay, I got my skills, and now I'm good now. I can, you know, I can just kind of float. It's just not, I told you three said, it's just not going to happen. You're, you're not going to um, be able to be successful or having ongoing success if you don't have a mentality that, hey, there's always something new to learn. So, so I, I, really, I really appreciate what you said there. Yeah, and for me, I think one of the biggest challenges and, and you know, beneficial aspects of building a home lab for anybody is that you really don't have a, you know, sort of a this is how it's done uh, rote sort of design to work from, right? It it's really presents a challenge around design for the first time for a lot of people and having to deal with different constraints than maybe are in the environments we work in on a day-to-day -day basis at our jobs. Um, you know, looking at how much power can I really draw from my, uh, you know, from my circuitry at my house um, as far as it you know, what's what's supplied by my electrical company, how am I going to cool this thing, how am I going to keep my wife from complaining about the noise or my significant other if, uh, you know, if, if we're not talking about a male individual. But uh, it's, you know, it, it's 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 ridiculous that, that, that people think that it's, it's just, oh, we can just go throw this together and it's going to work because they quickly realize that, hey, I've got to think this through and I've got to build a design. Um, the same way that I would if I was building something that, that needed to work in production. And, um, you know, there's a lot a lot different constraints and a lot of different challenges in a home environment than uh, than you see in, you know, in our normal day-to-day -day world. And, and I think that's one of the biggest aspects of learning that anybody takes away from it. Hey, Mike, are you saying there's a Layer 8 problem with the wife at home when you're building a lab? Absolutely. <laughs> she does not want to hear it or uh, be <laughs> warmed up by it. So it's got to stay as far away from there as our living space as possible. So do you well, you know, we 
when we were in Chicago, we had a just a two-bedroom apartment, and you know we had just a small starter apartment, and I, I fit I fit an eight U rack in there, and so yeah, it warmed up our office pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so fortunately where I live, we have basements, but uh, you know, looking at homes without a basement in other parts of the country, if we were looking to relocate, would be a really tough proposition for me because I don't know where we would house that thing or keep it cool. In, uh, in a warmer climate. So uh, I've got a 24U rack right now that I just downsized from a 42U. Um, and, you know, we had to power down some of it. So remotely controllable PDUs were a key aspect of it before when I had to shut some of it down at night so people could sleep. So, Mike, that's a good point about people in, in home labs is that you need to take all that into consideration, such as the remotely controllability because I don't want my my rack staying online 24-7 racking up our power bill. So I've got mine controlled remotely so that I can turn it on from anywhere in the world and then VPN in and, and do what I need to do and then shut it off. And I think that's something that, you know, people forget these things because uh, here's a question for you guys that I, that I hear often is, is that how do you do a home lab if you don't have a lab guide to tell you how to set it up? I mean, that's something that just amazes me that I get I get asked. And it's like, well, the home lab isn't supposed to be mocked after some, you know, CCIE workbook or, or some some design guide that you're working off of. It's supposed to be something for you to be able to create your own scenarios and basically shoot yourself in the foot and learn from that mistake. Well said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, mean, I remember, I recall when I first built my, you know, what, what my first iteration of my lab, um, it was, it involved frame relay and a frame relay switch. And I had no idea about that technology, but it was a great learning opportunity because I got the DCE to DTE crossover cables, and again, I had no idea what that was. I just kind of knew what I wanted, and building the lab itself was a great learning experience. So I think that's kind of the irony is that you're, you're putting this together, but, but the actual activity itself, the actual project itself of putting the hardware together, getting it together, you know, you might go through several iterations until you get what you want, but it, it, it in itself, for me, was was a great learning experience. Yeah, and I think you know Blake made a good point about the uh, about the remote accessibility of the lab. Um, for me, that was a huge aspect when I was traveling as a consultant all the time. Um, is that I need to be able to use my lab from a hotel room or from anywhere. And if something went down, I needed IPKVM. I needed you know remote controllable PDUs. Um, and for me, you know it, it's it's the head end from my house too, right? So so I'm not going to pay for a separate internet circuit to make it accessible. So it's the same internet that my kids and my wife are using on a day-to-day -day basis. So it has to be resilient um, as far as DNS resolution and other things that, you know, we just kind of take for granted with our simple Wi-Fi routers that a lot of us have at home. Um, so, you know, you start to think about redundancy and, and making it highly available so that you're not dealing with uh, your end user complaints at the same time as you're uh, you're trying to learn something or you know bang away at getting something done in there. So let me ask you a question: Did you get a static IP uh, for yours? Because I actually had a static IP for a short amount of time. It wasn't expensive, but I found that I actually didn't need it. I actually went back to just dynamic DNS. So I've never had a static IP because unfortunately, where I live, I have a very small ISP that uh, doesn't like to color outside the lines very much. So if you're a home user, you really can't get things like that in a lot of cases. Um, so what I've actually done for years is um, used a dynamic DNS host and, and just done everything externally by name resolution. 
um, and that's worked really, really well. I use DNS exit for my uh, my external DNS, and then just register those as my name servers for uh, with GoDaddy uh, on a domain that I own, and that's how I reach everything. And it, it works really well for me. Yeah, I noticed that a lot, a lot of the consumer routers um, they now have the dynamic DNS client built into it. So that's that's kind of interesting that that seems to be at least in terms of kind of the, the high end high end consumer routers. It seems that they're putting that dy dy dynamic DNS functionality in there. Yeah, and it's actually built into iOS as well. So, like, I have a, a 2811 that I use um, as my Internet router uh, with SSL VPN on it, and it also does some things like um, Cisco Unified Border Element on the edge of my network. Um, and I can register that up uh, using just any iOS 12 or later um, and it works really well. And for me, DNS exit was a choice because it was free. Uh, most of the, the uh, services that work with consumer routers, I've found, give you a trial period, and then they want you to pay for the service afterwards, or you have to renew your account every so often, and I just kept forgetting to. So DNS exit, uh, while the interface on the web to configure it isn't amazing, um, it works really well, it's reliable, and it works with my iOS router without any issue. So I've been using that for a number of years now. So how do you guys prioritize, you know, what you're going to add to your home lab at any given time? Is it, I mean, I know cost is definitely a factor. Is it uh, if you're looking at a specific certification, or what considerations do you make? That's a, that's a tough one. I think it's, you know, for me, it's always been what is, you know, what has been the task that I've been trying to do a study for a certification, for example, for the CCIU wireless. So at that point in time, my lab was very heavily focused on that, which for me, the material I needed to learn was more route switch. So I loaded up on more route switch than I did actually on the wireless. Now it's more uh, vendor interoperability. So it's all sorts of wireless access points and how they how we can interrupt with different client devices so i'm extremely ap heavy i mean i'm looking at my ceiling right now and i've got something around 20 ap's hanging from a ladder rack above my head so for me it's what are what are the tasks at hand and when cisco comes up with new technology i usually try to get some of that new technology in whether it be working on loaner gear from cisco or, or just trying to find some find access to the gear but i think it's always driven by you know tasks of certifications or new technology trends yeah, and for me, I think it, in recent years, it's been more about getting um, server hardware than anything else. Um, in the collaboration space, uh, obviously, we've made huge strides in centralizing the applications and things that, you know, are really the core of what we configure. Um, so trying to find servers in an opportunistic manner uh, that are still usable and we can run VMware and other things on, effectively uh, without breaking the bank um, has really been the, the challenge for me. And uh, there's conversations going on all the time on Twitter about, you know, what people are buying for their home lab uh, to run VMware boxes and test new technology that we're, we're supporting in that space. And, and that's been a great resource. And, you know, ultimately eBay is priceless at this point um, for anybody who's got a home lab because that, that's where you source a lot of gear on that front from, not necessarily the APs and, and that if you're looking for newer stuff because they tend to be just as expensive as getting them outright but uh it's you know it's definitely a good resource when you're looking for servers and you know some used storage possibly yeah i i, I you know i kind of second that um you mentioned ebay i would say that once i kind of have an idea of what i need 
uh, eBay is really important because otherwise buying a lot of this stuff uh, you, uh, new would be just cost prohibitive. Uh, and you, you had, uh, uh, Laura, you, met, you mentioned, you know, how do you prioritize what to get. I will say this is that typically I think it's an unreasonable expectation to think that you're going to get enough hardware to practice every feature that might be tested on, for example, certification. Um, you know, I think back to when I was doing my CCMP, um, the blueprint back then was a little bit different, and they actually had uh, something called private VLANs on there. Well, the problem was at the time that was only supported on the 4500s and 6500s. So obviously getting those larger chassis-based platforms for the home network was not feasible. So again, there's, there are times where you have to kind of cut your losses, and again, maybe you have an employer that will let you use, um, you know, maybe a lab switch or, you know, you can use something after hours. I think, you know, sometimes you need, need to get creative with that. But again, I think really you need to figure out what's going to be the most effective use of your money. And if it's a single feature and, you know, you're looking at maybe I need to get this platform just because it's a single feature for some uh, blueprint objective, then, you know, maybe it's not the best use of uh, your, your money. That's a very good point about the larger larger chassis equipment because that's when you start looking into private rack rentals or things like what Team Midas and, and Gold Labs and others are doing at Cisco and how you can get your hands on some of that or, or even using you know viral or other tools so that you can virtualize some of these things so that you don't necessarily have to go out and purchase those those larger based equipment that are going to A, cost you a lot of money up front and B, cost you a lot in cooling and electricity. Yeah, absolutely. That, and that's the thing because um, now, you know, there's um, so many different virtual tools, especially if you're talking route switching. And obviously I have a, a skew towards route switch because that's my the domain that I interact with uh, most often. But with the route switch especially, you know, you mentioned viral. And also now we have Cisco Learning Labs and there's the CCIE Lab Builder product, which I believe was just released last month. So you pretty much have a carte blanche of what you want to build in there and, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't available uh, years ago. So, you know, if you get creative with using some hardware supplemented with possibly rack rental or, you know, some sort of virtual environment, I think you, you know, if, if you're creative, you can really get a cost-effective learning experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most of the network, um, you know, implements that we probably want to put our hands on today are virtualizable in some, some capacity and, I mean, that's why, for, for a large extent, my focus has moved away from, you know, routers and switches. Uh, I have a few in my lab still, but um, it helped me to downsize my rack pretty substantially, you know, moving to GNS3 and, um, you know, and Vural for, for those for those components and, and just looking more at the, uh, you know, the, more at the course compute side of things and storage side of things, and that's really where I've been investing my money lately. Uh, and, you know, also keeping the heat and the noise down because uh, every Cisco router that I used to have a stack of with uh, with 10 fans running in them, it isn't helpful on the, the energy bill or the noise front. <laughs> yeah, so the, um, the um, I like the, uh, one thing I forgot to mention, you mentioned a few virtual, virtual technologies. Have you had a chance to use the uh, CSR-1000V yet? Um, so I had played around with it when it was first released, and it was, it was still sort of in a beta mode on um, on the developer uh, sites. And it is a really cool product. Uh, it's it's nice to be able to bridge networks within VMware with it, um, and put your hands on you know something that that looks and feels like a real router. 
Uh, it was still a little buggy when I last played with it, and uh, you know, it's something that's kind of been on my to-do list to circle back to at some point. Yeah, so they, the nice thing about it, of course, is that you know they have a, I believe the default trial is 30 days or 60 days. I'm not 100% sure, but I mean, once you install that, and I actually installed it on ESXi, just the, you know, the free version of their hypervisor, and um, I installed eight of them on one of our Cisco UCS servers and for, for one of my lab, uh, just kind of experimenting. And it's really nice. I mean, you know, you can test a lot of the iOS features. Most of the features are supported. I mean, with the right feature trial set, you can terminate IPsec VPN, MPLS. I mean, it'll do full BGP. So I, I really, you know, I think that it's really turned the corner. I think they've worked a lot of those kinks out, but I'm still, you know, I use it. Um, I supplement the, the hardware lab with that because there's still, obviously, there's things you can't do with virtual that you can do with the real router. So, but I, I really, it's really, it's really a good product. I mean, especially if you're on a budget, if you just get, you know, kind of a, a budget server and even, even a workstation, if, as long as it runs some uh, version of the SXI that's supported, then you can install, um, you know, a good amount of routers, 10 to 15 routers very easily, and you'll be able to practice all the features. So I'm really excited about that product. Yeah, and, and, you know, along those lines around um, lower-end servers, if you're just looking to do something like um, like that, is the Intel NUC or, or Next Unit Computing um, boxes are really inexpensive for what you get. Uh, you can put together one of those for a couple hundred dollars, and it's, like, almost silent. It's a tiny footprint, and uh, you can run several virtual machines on it with the i5s or i7s that are in them. Uh, so, so I've actually seen some VMware guys on Twitter that are building, um, you know, sort of high availability labs with those just because they're cheap and small, and you can simulate, you know, vMotion and other things uh, pretty readily with, with a pretty small uh, investment on, on those. So, yeah, somebody's putting out the, the 16 gig, but uh, that that is that's a challenge you're going to get with most desktop platforms, right? I mean, unless you're going to make a substantial investment in the server hardware, you're going to run into that limit at 16 or 32 gigs of uh, non-registered memory at most servers. Yeah, my brother put together a budget server, and that was one of the challenges that he had is uh, it was actually a limit of 16 gigs. Um, I mean, it was a nice piece of hardware, but, um, boy, it'd be nice if they, the, the RAM was just 32, a little higher would be nice. But um, I'm actually thinking, I'm kind of thinking along those lines. I, I've heard of the Nook, but I haven't had a chance to play with it. Yet. Do you know, do those have lights out management? No, so it's just a single NIC. I mean, it, it's more of a desktop replacement and a really small form factor than anything else. So, so there's no real, you know, management implements on them. But, uh, you know, again, if you're just looking for something to sort of sit beside your desktop or your laptop that you normally use that, that's dedicated to VMware, uh, those will run ESX without a problem. And they're, they're again, low power, low noise, low heat. Uh, so it makes it nice for somebody who doesn't have the basement to stuff full of stuff in their house or their apartment, possibly. You make that sound like a bad thing. <laughs> so, so somebody asked if anything has, has ever caught fire in anyone's lab. I've never personally had any fires. Um, I've had some stuff burn up from too much heat in the rack. Um, and, and that's one of my generally my biggest problems is cooling the stuff I have. Um, but I've never had a fire. I don't know, Blake or, or Charles, if you guys have it in the past. No, I can't say I've ever had anything uh, fire. I would be kind of concerned uh, just with the well-being of the gear that you're using if you got it. 
curious if I'm the only one that's just overdoing things and has issues with cooling at their house when you have this stuff going. And it seems more problematic for me in the winter when our furnace is running in our basement versus, uh, you know, in the summer when the air conditioning is on. Well, what's more entertaining is in the middle of winter to have to call and actually have your air conditioner surfaced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear it's winter in parts of the world and the country at least. So wouldn't that be a nice thing to have nice warm lab? It, it actually kind of is because it, it does lower your heating bill a little bit. If you if you were <laughs> in a two two apartment uh, building in Chicago, you probably could just you know turn on. Yeah, let me turn the heat up. Let me fire up that 3600 or 3700 switch. Yeah, if you're in a house, it depends on how you route your air. Yeah, I mean, I'm in North Carolina here, so, you know, I keep mine in the garage. Um, and my my actually, my biggest concern is, is of course, the heat here, uh, July, August. And so I always, I'm always concerned about making sure that they, things go, don't get too hot in there. But, yeah, I... I, I've, I've resorted to just placing my 42U rack inside the garage, and that kind of solves uh, <laughs> that alleviates the office heating issues. Yeah, it's not about mine in the garage. Mine, mine's in my basement in the laundry room, and out of sight, out of mind. I get the remote power on and off, so I don't always leave it running. I, I leave a POE switch running all the time just to be able to flip the access points up and down, but that's about it. And I want to ask you guys, uh, what did you do for your, your um, remote PDU? Uh, because I found that to be one of the more expensive pieces, and I actually went with um, uh, just an eBay APC model. But I actually found that the most challenging and most one of the more expensive pieces of lab. I'm just curious what you guys did for your remote PDU, if you got it on eBay or, or if you found that to be a challenge like I did. I went extremely cheap on mine, and I didn't went with a – Insteon appliance outlet because I have Insteon products throughout my house already in terms of light switches and everything for home automation. So I just I just grabbed another one of those boxes and it, it turns the entire basic standard surge protector or PDU on for the entire rack so everything just gets fired up. I don't have individual control of the components. It's pretty much for me it's a all or nothing type deal which which works for me. It cost me all of you know sixty bucks for the um, appliance link module, and then the software that I use is a couple hundred dollars software, but that investment will spread across all the light switches and everything, so it's not that big of a deal. So in my oh, lab, I, I actually have um, some data center type PDUs. Uh, they're made by a company that's now owned by Avicen, uh, previously called Cycleades. Um, and they actually made a terminal server for a while that they sold and these PDUs. And, and the nice thing about the ones I have, I only paid about $20 a piece for them, and they're um, 10 outlet PDUs uh, that have 20 amp feeds on them. And uh, they, they take an RJ45 um, rolled console cable, just like a Cisco router's console port. So my terminal server, which happens to be another 2800 series router uh, with an async module in it, is uh, is able to shut down ports and access to you know text-based CLI that's on those things. Um, they're not the most user-friendly in the world, but once you figure out how to use them, they're actually pretty nice and they're they're super cheap. Now, one of the other things somebody mentioned, sorry, another time. 
Anyway, somebody had mentioned eBay before, and just did my two cents, because I've, I've found a bunch of the APC Master Switches on, on eBay, and my average price has been about 100 bucks a pop on them, and I have, well, lots of them running. So I, I, everything in my lab is a, you know, an individual uh, fork for APC Master Switch. So if you look around enough, you can find them. Yeah, there's definitely deals out there. I think it's it's just a matter of how do you access it most of the time. I mean, most of the RS-232 stuff that's out there is going to require some sort of older serial port, um, you know, unless you get APC or something that has some, some IP connectivity in it already. That that was the big challenge for me, which is why the Cyclade stuff made sense, because it, uh, it, it connected to my existing terminal server, which, I mean, I think is probably, for anybody who has, you know, any sort of routers or switches in their lab, um, one of the most valuable investments that you can make is in a, a terminal server that you can do out-of-band management on, especially if you're uh, you're trying to uh, to make your lab accessible remotely. Uh, that's that was one of my you know one of my must-haves in my home lab for years. Okay, so question from the chat that I actually asked. Um, do you keep your older equipment? Do you actually give it away? Do you have a weird little shrine somewhere? Donations. <laughs> so, yeah, I've done hand-me-downs to you. I mean, I think, you know, most of us that work in, in organizations where we've got junior people coming in from time to time, they can't always afford to uh, to build a home lab or don't necessarily know where to start. So I've always been a big fan of, of you know, paying it forward and giving stuff away to, to other folks that, uh, you know, are learning for the first time. Especially if it's a piece of equipment you've worked on for years, you can usually provide some pretty good guidance when that individual has questions. Um, you know, it's good to see somebody else get some use out of it rather than just sticking it in a corner uh, in the basement never to be touched again and collect dust. Yeah, I agree. I'm actually going through this right now. I'm trying to move out a lot of my old gear and either donate it or, or sell it out to the community, whoever's looking to get some gear to get into into the business with switches and wireless access points. So a lot of my old old CCIE version 1 stuff I'm trying to, trying to move right now because it's just been collecting dust for a while. Yeah, I actually, uh, my brother, my younger brother, who's actually... He's a good, um, actually, young as he, boy, he's like 15 years younger than me. He's actually the second youngest family. I have a very large family. So okay. I actually, I actually gave him, uh, actually, I didn't give it to him. I sold him my hardware very inexpensively. And um, I told him, I said, listen, man, if you exercise due diligence and you learn all this stuff and you get your CCNA, you know, there's going to be some market value for you. And he's currently employed by Cisco now. You know that was that was quite a few years ago, but now he's he's employed by Cisco. So, like I said, I I just you know I agree with kind of instead of just getting rid of it or recycling it, see if you can repurpose it by somebody who's more junior than you. That's that's probably the best uh, first step. So you're saying bring people to the dark side with your <laughs> old lab equipment? I don't know what that means. <laughs> oh, whoops, sorry out loud voice. Um, one of the questions I'm seeing from Brad is, uh, what's your dream lab? Do you guys have a build of, oh my gosh, I would totally love to have these things in my dream lab? Uh, the you even have to say like me. Sorry, go ahead. I, I, I would say mine would be the Cisco EBC. 
the green screen television's room and all that type of stuff. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, agreed. I mean, I, I don't think I could afford the Dream Lab. It's, I priced myself out of the game immediately. And I think the other thing for me is that as soon as I get done putting together a bill of materials for whatever I'm going to get or go seek out um, in, in one of my lab refreshes, it uh, it always ends up being expired as soon as I actually buy something. So it's constantly evolving. I don't know that there's a, a static list that we could ever have that uh, will get it all done. I'm a little concerned. You want a green screen, Blake? I already have a green screen, believe it or oh, not. Gosh darn it. I just think it's really I cool. Have a green that one that comes up right now. Don't ask me why it's there, but I have a green screen in my trunk. That's all I can say. Oh. <laughs> Do you have a shovel with it? Duct tape? <laughs> Should I be concerned? All right. So sorry, I got all crazy time. Um who else wants to shout out questions, join the conversation? I'll be quiet and let you all talk. Not everybody. I want to, I want to mention, you know, um, I want to actually comment, uh, just let me mention one thing. So I think, you know, the question Brad asked was, what's your dream lab? So kind of echoing what has already been said is that, I mean, it's really hard to say, hey, this is, this is what I want. I, this is the, you know, I, this is a dream lab, the ultimate lab, because because technology is all, is always evolving and it's always changing. I mean, I, I don't think you can say, hey, this must, you know, this is what I want. I want to get this, and you know, I want these routers, these switches, because of because of things change rapidly. And even if you could afford everything that you wanted, this, this money was no object. You know, it just wouldn't make sense to put that huge investment. So I, I would say, you know, for for myself, uh, I would want to make sure that whatever uh, technology I want to uh, learn about, um, wh whether it's, uh, you know, some sort of routing protocol or some sort of networking protocol, BXI, whatever, as long as I can have at least a modest hardware to configure that, then I'm, I'm happy with that. That, that to me, is my dream lab, just to be able to do some very practical things with it. Yeah, and I, I think that I, I think it's a good goal, right? I mean, you got to have goals when you set out to build your lab. So, so what's perfect or, or what the ideal lab is may depend on what your objectives for the lab are. Like, um, you know, Blake was mentioning wireless stuff. I mean, the wireless is, is uh, an implement in my lab that uh, you know is just there to serve connectivity. I'm not focused on it. My my, my focus is collaboration. So, again, it's more toward the, the servers being really great and the storage running really well probably in more cases than anything else at this point. So so it's it's going to be different for everybody. And uh, I think one of the challenges, and, you know, I, I sort of try to highlight this earlier, is the design, right? It's, it's understanding what your objectives are, understanding what you what, what fits best with what you're trying to accomplish. And for me, that's one of the biggest aspects of learning is just understanding, you know, at the end of it, once I actually get something built, what I could have done better looking back on it. And, you know, the next iteration always ends up being much better than, than the previous. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's sort of a moving target in pretty much every case. I just, I'm just curious, what, if you had to ask, any, and anyone could chime in on this, I'm just curious, what number in terms of cost do you think you spend uh, spent on your home lab? And, don't, you know, don't include power, but, just in terms of the actual hardware itself, what, what's the number you think that you're you're at? So mine's sort of been a gradual, you know, additions over the years and stuff. Stuff gets retired, some stuff gets, uh, you know, refreshed. But um, I, I think probably for me, and this is Mike, I I probably have about five six thousand dollars in my lab, um, you know, at any given point. 
worth of equipment that I've purchased and used. Um, so, so that, I mean, I, I typically tend to set aside a couple of grand at tax return time or something of that nature to, to sort of fund some refreshes that I want to do, and, and that's coming up here shortly for me, hopefully. Uh, fingers crossed from the accountant. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that's probably, for me, a, a pretty pretty steady, you know, investment or pretty steady, you know, worth on the lab as far as what I could get out of it if I resold everything used right now. Yeah, I'd probably say I'm, I'm similar, similar boat. Uh, you know, for a lot of, the, a lot of the stuff that I, I get, I, I get through people wanting me to do product testing and interoperability testing for their access points and, and whatnot. So, I mean, that's kind of the thing I always tell people too, is, is you know, buddy, buddy with your Cisco team that's local to you because they're always getting rid of their lab gear and, you know, it might be one revision older, but it's still going to do 90% of what you want it to do. Yeah, and if anybody has any UCS they're looking to donate, I'm, I'll be more than happy to take it off your hands. So I'll just throw that out there. Same with shameless self-promotion. Hmm, <laughs> I so, might be able to help you out. It's very magnanimous of you. <laughs> very helpful. Um, actually, I see a great question from Priscilla. Have Have any of you gotten your kids involved? Is this good training? Um, are they at the point where they get they understand what they're doing if they do get involved? That's a great question. I, I, I certainly have. My son is about eight, and uh, he helps me wire things all the time. And when I say helps, he slows things down. But uh, it's it's a good experience for him. He constantly asks questions about what things are, and you know he knows his way around the the, the physical stuff at this point anyway, even at eight. Yeah, my my yeah. kids are a little bit younger than that, so uh, you know I'll I'll do the. Uh, uh, it already was a jab made at wireless, so I'll do the jab at collaboration. I've got a picture of my daughter, who was probably one at the time, uh, chewing on a 7921 IP phone, which is pretty much the extent of, you know, dial tone is easy for anybody to do, right? So uh, she she gets, can do a voice, so. Well, well played. <laughs> uh, so I'll, I'll tell you guys, my 13-year-old son, uh, for his science project, did a complete wireless site survey uh, and used different materials to see what the impact was of signal and, and download speeds and won a science fair at his school and ended up at district and took a second place prize. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, it's actually a lot of motivation to get my kids involved in this stuff right now. Uh, you know, they get excited because I can relate it back to how they video game and what it means uh, to their games when they're playing it if there's lag or latency. Well, that's a, that's a neat, that's neat. Uh, yeah, I have, actually, I have three daughters, um, and my oldest is four, and even at four years old, she's always curious at what daddy's working on, because um, I've been working on my CCIE route switch, and uh, last year, you know, I was working on a particular lab scenario, and she was sitting by me, and I noticed that she had kind of, uh, with pencil and paper, <laughs> in her way, that way she understood it, she redrew the whole network diagram, and I have this hanging on my wall to this day, uh, so that kind of... Um, you know, kind of really got me thinking. It's really, I don't think it's ever really too early to get your kids interested in technology, especially helping them understand the practical things and solving very practical problems and business needs with it. I mean, even from a young age, you know, you can, they can understand what the basics of, of what networking does. And so, yeah, no, I, I think that's, um, I don't think it's ever too early uh, to get started with that yeah. getting your kids involved. No, my, my five, my six-year-old daughter now, when she's 
I think you just cut out. Girls went into a tunnel. Six-year-old daughter. Okay, I love this concept of people's children redrawing their di- uh, network diagrams. You guys have to share hey, this, please. I have a joke. Uh, it's wireless cut out. What? <laughs> Try that again? Cut out. Is wireless cut out? That, you would have been on a wireless phone. Oh, it's so inappropriate. Cellular, completely different technology. Not something I mess with. Behave. There's no wires, just, just technically speaking. <laughs> Oh, man, come on. It's so easy to give dial tone. Anybody can do it. (laughs) Uh, Most of the time, we can even do it over wireless. Most of the time. That's true. So so I have have an interesting question for Charles and Blake. What's your most prized possession in your lab right now? If if you had to pick one piece of gear, what what would you say is, is sort of the crown jewel? Oh, man. Wow. Hmm, let me think about that. I think, let me go on the limb there. I would say if I if I looked at that rack and I had to get rid of everything except one piece of gear, I think it would be my, I think a 3750 my, my PoE switch. That would be the thing that I would keep. Just because it's expensive, it was hard to get a hold of, and it's so useful for me. So I, I'd, say, I'd say my 3750. Yeah, that's funny. That's that's my answer too, because that's that's the heart of my network. So without that, everything goes down. So that, that's ironic. I would actually probably say my pre-production access points that I have, my AP twenty seven hundreds. Nice. Show off. I know. <laughs> Why hasn't anybody said anything like Star Wars action figures? Because they're cooler <laughs> than that. And we're Let not. You're they familiar. melt when you put them in the rack. It's too hot. Oh, there you go. See? Melted music. I have a Cisco CS in my file cabinet. Hey, I used to use a Cisco CS as my daily phone until my DX70 arrived just the other week. So, yeah. I just yeah. gave my CS to my son. <laughs> so funny. That's nice. All right, I think they need to tweet about this. Completely People are evolved. actually using them. Are there any... Are there any last questions we should go for? Awesome. I think I will wrap it up after those few seconds of awkward near silence. Um, Thank you to our hosts and Cisco speaker today. You guys were great. I think this was a lot of fun. And um, catch you all next week on Cisco Champion Radio. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.